Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So today we're in week four of our sermon series called After God's Own Heart. And remember what we're doing in this series is walking through the incredible yet scandalous life of the great King David. So how many of you guys thus far who have been here have enjoyed this sermon series so far? Yeah, I mean, David is this absolutely incredible human being that I think reminds us so much about ourselves and what he accomplishes and then his failure. And we haven't even really gotten to his failure yet. Also, if you really like this series, would encourage you to go and read the story of David. I'm just hitting some of the high marks and there's a whole lot more to be learned from getting into his story. So in week one, we opened up this story with the great prophet Samuel traveling to this tiny little village called Bethlehem. And what he does while he's there, he chooses this young teenage shepherd boy David to be the next great king of Israel. In week two, as we started to get into how David's life played out in the 15 to 20 years before he became the king, is we jumped into the amazing story of David and Goliath. Where, where David, against all odds, this, this teenager, takes on this giant of a man who had been trained as a warrior, and he defeats the giant. And then last week, we discovered that because of David's victory over the giant, he doesn't become this famous person that everyone loves, although everybody does love him except King Saul. No, what happens is Saul makes David an enemy, which was something that then played out in Saul's chasing David and his friends all over southern Israel until that fateful day when King Saul decides to take a pit stop. Does that make anybody else laugh but me? If, if you don't know what we're laughing at, you missed last week, you need to go back and watch uh, or listen to it. Uh, just to give you a hint, the title of the sermon is Pooping in a Cave. All right, so go back and watch that. You will not be disappointed. Now, what's so amazing about this particular story is that what David does, instead of using that as an opportunity to take his enemy out, is he simply cuts off a corner of his garment to prove to him that he really isn't out to get Saul or to take his throne, but instead just wants to be a servant, which in turn gave us this incredible example or this incredible picture of what it looks like to love our enemies in the midst of the heat of the moment. Right, which is so very hard to do, but we all need to learn it, especially given the election season that we're about to go into. Now, I wish I could go on and tell you that because David chose to love his enemy or because David took the high road that eventually Saul and, King, or Saul and David became best friends and then went on to live happily ever after, right? That's how it's supposed to work out. That's the fairy tale kind of dream we all have. Well, sadly, that's not the case. No, instead what happens is that not very long after David spares Saul's life is Saul gets right back to chasing David and his friends. Which in turn is a pursuit that, that gets so bad that David actually eventually chooses to join his enemy, the Philistines, because he, feel like, he feels like that's the only way he's going to survive. It says this, David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. 
There's nothing better for me than to escape the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer without the border, within the border of Israel and shall escape out of his hand. So do you guys notice how desperate David is at this point? So when he took out Goliath, that was a Philistine. He is so desperate that he has gone to those people. And actually King Ashish is, was the king over that particular battle. So he is so desperate that he joins his enemies. Which surprisingly is a move that actually works because Saul does stop chasing after him. It's like, okay, well maybe this is meant to be. Maybe he can get a breath. But just when this story seems to come to resolution or, or just when you think David's going to get a chance to relax and just get to everyday life, what happens next is that the Philistines decide to go on the offensive and attack Israel or to go to war with David's people, which you would think is something that David would have no part of or even fight against, given that these are the very people that he has been called to rule. But strangely, what we find is that David and his friends are actually more than willing to go to war with the Israelites or to turn their back on their own people. It says this, In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. Ashish said to David, You know, of course, that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Ashish, Very well then, you shall know what your servant can do. Ashish said to David, Very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life. Or as David's response makes clear, David and his men are no longer fighting for Israel. They are fighting against Israel. Or for a bit more perspective on the strangeness of this particular move, this would be like a five-star general in the United States military taking a whole bunch of troops that he commands and going to Russia to fight in a war against the United States of America because that's what's going on here as David is, in a sense, betraying his people, the very people that God has called him to rule. And yes, at this point, you should be scratching your heads because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But what Desperate person do you know makes any sense? You just do what you got to do to survive. But luckily, as David and his men are actually marching out to do battle against his people, the other Philistine kings decide that they can't trust David. David is the one who has beat them down a couple of different times, so they can't trust him. So basically what they do is they send him back to the land of the Philistines, so he'll be out of the way, which in the end means David does not end up fighting his own people. But instead, he ends up sitting on the sidelines watching. Which I don't really think is that much better than being a part of the battle. It's still kind of a passive thing going on there. And then what happens as the Philistines march off to war against King Saul without David is that not only do they win a major battle over Israel that day, killing a whole lot of Israelites along with taking a whole bunch of their land, it's also the case that they finally take out King Saul along with all of his sons. It says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines, and many fell on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Amenadab and Malchusia, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard upon Saul. The archers found him, and he was badly wounded by them. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it. 
so that these uncircumcised may not come and thrust me through and make sport of me. But his armor bearer was unwilling, for he was terrified. So Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. Or as you can see, the the day that David chose to sit on the sidelines, the worst case scenario happens for his people, the Israelites, in that not only did they lose a whole lot of land and lives that day, but they lost their king, which in a sense means they have lost their way. And again, this is something that should cause you to scratch your head. I mean, what's, what's going on here? Why is this not working out the way we want it to work out? And then what makes this story even stranger is that ironically, what is bad news for the land of Israel that day is actually great news for David. Because now that Saul is gone, he can finally come back home and take his place as the king of Israel. Which, remember, is something that David has been waiting on for 15 to 20 very long and very hard years, right? This is his moment. He can come back. He can take his place. And everything is going to be great, right? Everybody's going to accept him. Happily ever after. Here we go. But what we find is that as soon as David arrives home, there's no doubt that his particular tribe... The Jude, his tribe of Judah does accept him back with open arms, and they do make him the king. But while that's going on, the other 11 tribes of Israel, they anoint Ishabal, Saul's only remaining son, to be their king. So it's like David finally gets to the place where he thinks he's going to be the king, and then this happens. And then to make things worse, civil war breaks out. The worst kind of war is a civil war. And the tribes of Judah led by King David and the rest of Israel led by Ishabal go to war with one another for two long, bloody years until finally those who were fighting against David realize they can't win. And so they eventually take out Ishabal, the other king, themselves. Which then gets us to the place where David is anointed as the king of all of Israel. Or gets us to the place where God's promise of making David the king finally comes true. And note, it's a strange moment. It's not one of those things that, that you just kind of ascend and everything works out and everybody's happy. Oh, it's, it's, there's ups and downs and in-betweens and all sorts of stuff that are going on there. And he's finally there. And I'm sure it was a surreal and amazing moment because he probably thought he'd never be there. But nonetheless, that's how it happened. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. So what do you do with this story? Well, now that we have spent the last four weeks kind of wrestling with and and working through these years Uh, these 15 to 20 years between when David is anointed and becomes the king, I think we're actually in a place where we can step back and see one of the most important things that we need to see as Christians following our God on a daily basis. But we've got to see the big picture. We can't just look right here. It's got to be the big picture kind of view. So 
In my experience, especially given that we live in a world of instant gratification, what I find most people today expect when God has called them or given them a dream about who they are supposed to be or what they're supposed to do is that because they have received this call from God, because God has called them to do a particular thing, they just expect for that to happen overnight. No questions asked like God just drops it into their lap or something like that. Or in a sense, what people expect from our God is that God works like a microwave, right? Three minutes, you hit start, and it's done. Well, what this long and crazy story of David's 15 to 20 year journey to power shows us is that it's not the case that our God is a God of instant gratification, but instead is the kind of God who calls or gives us a dream and then takes his time to get us ready or to get us to the place that we need to be. Or in other words, the way our, God's, our, the way our God works is not like a microwave, but like a crock pot. And to see this, all you have to do is think back through the story of David. Because what you'll find there is God using these different episodes in his life to, to get him to the place where he can be a great king. So in the David and Goliath story, we find that God is shaping David into this fearless military commander. So he will be able to go out and successfully lead his people out for battle when it's needed. And he does a great job of that. It's, it's part of his success. When David is being chased by Saul, we find God teaching him a whole lot about what it takes to survive and thrive in desperate situations. And David faces that a couple of different times as the king. When David faces the choice of whether or not to kill King Saul in the cave or not, we find God teaching David that a part of what it means to be a good king is to show mercy and to love your enemies, even if it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And even today, what we discovered after David is made king of Judah, right? And then there's this civil war. There's this two-year period before he actually becomes the king of everyone. That what God is teaching is that oftentimes when you think you have arrived in a particular place, when you think you have gotten to your destination, there's actually still a whole lot more work to do. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have worked your tail off and got to a particular place and you thought to yourself, I have finally arrived. And you go, come to find out you got a whole lot more work to do. Well, in the same way that God called David to be the king and then took 15 to 20 years of a whole lot of ups and downs and in-betweens to get him ready, to, to shape him into the person that God was creating him to be, that is exactly what you should expect in your own life. I don't care how old you are. Because as this story shows, and as you read all over the Bible, our God is not a God of instant gratification, or our God is not a microwave God, but instead is a God who calls and gives us dream and then spends a whole lot of time getting us ready to do what he has created us to do. Our God works like a crockpot. That is the best analogy I've ever come up with. It's not a microwave, it's a crockpot, which ultimately means that what you should expect in your life as a follower of this God is that even though you know that God has called you to do great things, even though you've got this burning on the inside of you to do incredible things for this community or whatever it is, what you need to expect is not for something to happen overnight or something just to fall into your lap, but instead is something that is going to take a significant amount of time, and it's probably going to be really, really hard. 
And the reason for that is what God is doing in those moments is he calls, he gives us these dreams. And then in between, he gets us ready. He's got to shape and mold us. He can't just hand it over to us because we wouldn't be ready. Or to really put this into perspective for you guys, as a young minister, so probably 22, 23, I thought I could stand up in a pulpit every single week and do this. I thought I had what it took. I was better than all the others, right? Um, I wasn't. It wasn't even close. And so what God did was he took me in steps and stages to different churches in different places. And I learned all these things that I need to know. So now I can stand before you with a little bit of confidence and a little bit of knowledge to help you guys out. And I'm sure there's a whole lot more. Because then I got to the place where I'm like, okay, I'm in a great church and we're growing. We're doing great things. Now I can relax, right? No. There's even more work to be done. There's even more people to save. There's even more lives to transform. Thank you, Garrett. I appreciate you. I appreciate that. So, the reason I say all of that is because I want you all to know that, that maybe, just maybe, even though your life right now at this very moment doesn't seem like it's going anywhere or you don't seem like you have any direction or, or that, that dream that God has given you is, is so far off, Maybe you're actually right where you need to be. And instead of feeling sorry for yourself or instead of kind of walking away from things and quitting, what you should do is hunker down, continue to grind and learn what you need to learn so that when you do get to that place, when you do live into that dream, you'll actually be able to handle it. Let us pray. Father, again, we come before you this morning, you know, wrestling with another strange but amazing story from the life of King David. And our prayer this morning is simple. Help us to understand that you really aren't a microwave kind of God, but you are a crockpot kind of God, the kind of God that, that calls and gives us dreams about who we are supposed to become, what we're supposed to do, and then takes a whole lot of time to get us ready. So in this very place, at this very moment, oh Lord, help us to quit fighting that. Help us to quit feeling sorry for ourselves because we're not where we think we're supposed to be and instead grind and instead do what we need to do and learn what we need to learn so that when we do get to that place, we will be ready for you to use us to change the world, to save lives, to bring healing and wholeness, whatever it is that you have in store for us. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.